Tov, good morning. Welcome everybody to the Aliyah Day. It is a good day in the neighborhood. I am glad that you are here. All of you precious souls who are watching and listening from across the fruited plain, welcome. And not just the fruited plain, but the entire the entire world. People are watching from all over the world. It is the uh, the sixth day of the week. It is prep day. We are getting ready for Shabbat, and not just any Shabbat, but Shabbat Shuvah, the Sabbath of return, the Shabbat that precedes directly Yom Kippur. <clears throat> it is also the first Shabbat of the year, the first Shabbat, the 57. 18. Isn't it amazing that, that we have that reality? This, this really uh, typifies <clears throat> what Judaism is all about and uh, what the faith of Judaism really um, teaches. You, you, you have the very first Sabbath of the year, the first Sabbath that starts out our new season of our life, is all about returning to God. Teshuvah. Isn't that amazing? It is also an auspicious day because uh, some of you might have seen where I shared this morning some pictures and a little bit of video of our uh, mikvah uh, being excavated this morning. It's happening this morning. In fact, I just just left there maybe, maybe 30, 40 minutes ago or so, and the men are there digging the mikvah. So the, the road to a, a 100% Bore Algabai bore mikvah to be used in all of the ritual ways, family purity, conversions, preparation for Yom Tovim and for Shabbat and, and marriage ceremonies and everything, men's mikvah and a women's mikvah is all underway right now. And so it's real. It's happening. This is, this is um, a big deal. And, and if, if, if you'll allow me, I, I want to encourage everyone to please donate to our Mikvah Shaloa project. It's so important, and you can be a part of the actual building of it by giving. That's, I'm not just making that up. Judaism teaches that when we contribute to the writing of a Torah scroll or the building of a synagogue, the building of a mikvah, or any type of mitzvah like that, uh, it's a credit to us as if we wrote the Torah scroll or as if we built the synagogue or as if we built the mikvah. So it's very important. I want you to please contribute to that. And after the video is finished and everything, I'll go back into the comments and into the description and put a link for you to be able to donate. And so that would be a great blessing. So isn't it interesting, too, that this is happening? The, the mikvah is being excavated today, being dug today, uh, on the eve of Shabbat Shuvah. And uh, the, the Sabbath of return, and because it is so prophetic, because Lapid Judaism is uh, is primarily about returning the disciples of Yeshua to the path of Yeshua, which is a Torah true and authentic Torah true Judaism, an authentic Orthodox Judaism. Uh, with all due respect, not Christianity, not Messianic, not Hebrew roots, not sacred name cult, but an actual truth. And I say that with, with love and respect. Please don't misunderstand. I understand people don't know what they don't know and they're learning, but I'm just, I want to make that clear distinction if you'll allow me the opportunity to do that. 
So it's uh, it's just amazing. What what a phenomenal time. I, I, I was a, on my way to the office this morning and received a call from Shlomo that, hey, they're here. And drove stro- straight over to the uh, mikvah house, uh, which is just about a block or two away from our synagogue building. And wow, here we are. So welcome. If you're new to the channel, please subscribe and uh, like us, love us, click the little bell uh, icon so you can get more of us. <laughs> and, <laughs> and we're just, we're happy that you're here. We're, I, I am happy that all of you precious people are here and uh, doing amazing things. We are in the last, last part of uh, Parasha Vayelech. And if you have the art scroll Chumash, we are on page 1098 or 1099, depending if you're reading in the Ivreo or in the Anglit. And uh, this is going to be chapter 31. Chapter 31, beginning in verse 20, verse 20, for our Sephardic friends. Here it is. It says, For I shall bring them to the land that I swore to their forefathers, which flows with milk and honey, but it will eat, be sated, and grow fat, and turn to gods of others and serve them. It will provoke me and annul my covenant. It shall be that when many evils and distresses come upon it, then this song shall speak up before it as a witness. Now, what's the, what's the song that he's talking about here? The song is the song of the Torah. Did you know that? Did you know that the song of, of, of the universe is Torah? Someone asked uh, in a comment following the Aliyah day yesterday, why is it that sometimes when I'm reading the scriptures, that I sing. I kind of have like a, a little a little note in my voice. Aside from the fact that I'm an excellent singer. Aside from that, I used to do so professionally. That's not true. Uh, but <laughs> anyway, it's just a common uh, custom among Jews. We, we sing the Torah. We cant the Torah when we're reading it um, from the scroll. And so you'll find rabbis a lot of times when they're reading Torah scripture, they kind of sing. Sometimes when they're giving shurim. They're singing a little bit, but it's fitting, isn't it? Because the Torah is a song. It is our love song from God. And it's saying here that when we are straying, it is it is this song that's going to awaken us and draw us back. So it says that, that it shall uh, not be forgotten. Um, it shall be that when these many evils and distresses come upon it, then this song shall speak up before it as a witness, for it shall not be forgotten from the mouth of its offspring. So this is also another important promise from the Torah that God is telling us the Torah will never be forgotten from the mouth of its offspring. Even if it's a remnant, my friends, there's still going to be Torah learning. Isn't it interesting that we've had 2,000 years 2,000 years of, of religiosity, uh, of faith in, in allegedly the Messiah of the Gospels that has, 
preached and taught and with fire and brimstone emphasized that the law of Moses must be abolished. It must be forgotten. It must be forsaken. It must be abrogated. If you do it, you're going to lose your salvation. That that has been the, the, the mantra for 2,000 years. That's been the drumbeat in the ears of the people who read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And yet, after 2,000 years, there's us. After 2,000 years, there's Lapid Judaism. Why? Because the Torah will not be forgotten. And by God's abundant grace, mercy, and all the wonderful attributes you want to add to that, you and I, my friends, know about it. Why we know about it is only a miracle from heaven. It's amazing. So it says, For I know its inclination what it does today before I bring them to the land that I swore. Moses wrote this song on that day and taught it to the children of Israel. He commanded Joshua, son of Nun, and said, Be strong and courageous, for you shall bring the children of Israel to the land that I swore to them, and I shall be with you. You know, Shlomo pointed out a, uh, a really great insight, or just a thought, uh, last evening. And he said that... Uh, isn't it interesting that we're reading here around Rosh Hashanah time and Yom Kippur time, we're reading about Moses handing the baton uh, to Yehoshua, Yeshua. And Rosh Hashanah marks the time when the king, Yeshua, will reign, when the resurrection of the dead will occur, being taken into the promised land, so to speak. And isn't it interesting that we have that spiritual picture here at this time? So I thought that was a good insight and. So it says in verse 24, So it was that when Moses finished writing the words of this Torah onto a book, until their conclusion, Moses commanded the Levites, bearers of the Ark of the Covenant, of Adonai, saying, Take this book of the Torah and place it at the side of the Ark of the Covenant of Adonai your God, and it shall be there for you a, it shall be there for you a witness. Now, there's a debate among the sages as to whether or not the Torah was literally placed beside the Ark. Now, here we're talking about the Torah that was written on parchment. The, the tablets of the, of the law are already inside the Ark. We're talking now about the parchment. And so the question becomes, is the parchment actually put inside the Ark or is it literally on a shelf next to the Ark? Um, and there's some discussion about that in debate. There's lots of insights, and for the sake of time, we won't get into all of those. But they're, they're fascinating and good and, and interesting. But I want to point something out. How many people out there that believe in the Messiah and yet don't understand Torah, don't, and maybe even many of them think that Torah is not for today, that it's not doesn't have any power, doesn't have any authority, or whatever. How many of those same people want the Ark to be found? Now, as an aside, uh, I don't believe the Ark is lost. That's my opinion. It's also the opinion of many Jews and, uh, and, and even secular Israelis. Uh, we believe that the Ark uh, is deep inside one of the, one of the caverns, catacombs of, of the Temple Mount. Um, and one of the reasons I think that is because we're not looking for it. Um, Contrary to all the stuff you see on YouTube and all the different articles you've seen and the, the Indiana Joneses of the world that are out there trying to find it, it's not lost. That's my opinion, and it's the opinion of many Jews. Um, 
I'm, I'm not going to build a religion around that, and I'm certainly not going to make any videos about it. Uh, but I would suggest that there's many believers who would want to find the ark, who would want to find the ark, who would want to, to discover it and bring it to the Temple Mount with great fanfare and joy. And yet these very same believers would be the ones that might say and most likely would say, oh, don't worry about kosher eating. Don't worry about Shabbat. Don't worry about circumcision. Don't worry about Yom Tovim. Don't worry about wearing tzitzit. Don't worry about any of these other mitzvot. And yet the very ark that they're so desperately trying to find and, and they've, they've got their leather coats and fedoras on and whips around their hip contains this covenant. And the covenant that it contains is, is going to be the witness against us, the witness to us, the witness for us. That's a Selah moment right there, my friends. So it continues, For I know your rebelliousness and your stiff-necked. Behold, while I'm still alive with you today, you have been rebels against Adonai and surely after my death. So it says, look, you know, you're, you've been rebels while I'm alive and that's only going to get worse most likely after I die. So it says in verse 28, gather to me all the elders of your tribes and your officers and I shall speak these words into your ears and I call heaven and earth to bear witness against you or against them. For I know that after my death, you will surely act corruptly. And you will stray from the path that I've commanded you, and evil will befall you at the end of the days, if you do what is evil in the eyes of Adonai to gather, to excuse me, to anger him through your handiwork. What's that mean? In other words, becoming idolaters. Since Moses spoke the words of this song, that is the Torah, in the ears of the entire congregation of Israel until their conclusion. Interesting where it talks about I, I'm going to put heaven and earth uh, against you as witnesses, this goes back to um, uh, something Yeshua talked about, right? He said <clears throat> that heaven and earth will pass away before this law passes away. And the, the, the rabbinic commentary to that verse in the Torah is that the, the heavens and the earth stand before us as witnesses to the eternal nature of the Torah, that when we see the heavens and when we see the earth, when we see the planets that are real in the sky and uh, all of that, that we are reminded that, um, that this Torah is real and exists uh, very much in reality. So just an interesting insight. All right, let's turn to some of our other comments. We've got many, many things that we can share. Some of, most of which, or a lot of which, I should say, has been um, left over from um, Aliot this week. Let's go to this one. Verse, chapter 31 and verse 10. Moses commanded them, saying, at the end of seven years, at the time of the sabbatical year, during the Sukkot festival, when all Israel comes to appear before Adonai your God in the place that Adonai will choose, you shall read this Torah before all of Israel in their ears. Now, the person who was supposed to read it uh, was the king of, uh, of, of Israel. The king was responsible for reading the Torah at, at an event which is called Hakel, to read this Torah. Why? Because the king is the one who inspires everybody. 
He's the number one citizen, which means he's the number one uh, example. This is like in, the, in, in Los Estados Unidos, in our country, the United States of America. The first lady uh, is, is referred to as the first lady because she is the example or to be the example to all the ladies uh, of our country. That's the idea, that she is, she's the representative, she's the role model, if you will. So it says here, at the public reading by their king, the people would renew, say renew, renew their ancient commitment to hear, learn, and fear Adonai. You know, um, throughout our walk, with God, we are regularly renewed. Being born again, my friends, is not a one-time experience. It's not. Um, Yeshua went to the mikvah. Mikvah, going to the waters of baptism, which is back in antiquity called going to the mikvah. Yeshua did that at the Jordan with Yochanan um, the Immerser. Now, there was a specific reason why he went to Yochan on the Immerser, and it is a reason you have never heard before, unless you've heard it from me, but uh, because there was a specific reason, which we're not going to get into today. That would be another hour. But prior to that, he had been to the mikvah probably scores of times, at least dozens of times. And after that event, he went to the mikvah dozens of times, maybe scores of times. Same thing with all the apostles. One thing we know for sure is every time you went to the temple, when we know the apostles from the book of Acts records that they went to the, that Yochanan and Kepha, for instance, went to the, to the temple daily, daily for prayer. And every time they went to the t temple, they would have had, it would have been a requirement, they wanted to, I'm not making, I'm not suggesting that they were forced to, I'm just simply saying that there wasn't an option to avoid it. You had to go through the mikvah. Every time you go to the mikvah, it's a born-again experience. Every time you make teshuva, it's a born-again experience. Every time you awaken in the morning and say, God, thank you for today. Forgive me for anything I messed up yesterday and help me to do better today. You're being born again at that moment. Every time you hear the shofar blast and your heart is drawn towards God and making teshuva, you're being born again. And so every time we hear the Torah being read and we're inspired to follow it, to embrace it, to make it a part of who we are, that's a renewal. And that's what the Brit Hadashah is all about. So it says, this law provided an opportunity to publicly warn the entire nation not to violate the words of Torah. No one could justify a sinful act by proclaiming, I didn't know. So Rambam emphasizes the all-encompassing scope of this mitzvah. Even the deaf... And those who do not understand Hebrew are to co concentrate their attention and listen closely. With a mixture of awe and joy, as on the day the Torah had been given at Sinai, even great sages, listen to this, it's so important. Even great sages who know the Torah by heart are obliged to pay close attention. The Torah commanded this to reinforce the law and its truth. Let it seem to everyone that he's receiving it at that moment. And I want to emphasize that the king 
of Israel is the one who's reading it and, and therefore inspiring people, even the most educated. From the most educated to the least educated, and we're going to find out here in just a moment, even to include small children, even to include the deaf, even to include those who, who didn't really understand Hebrew all that great. They still had to listen. Now, I want you to contrast this whole picture of the king of Israel who's required by God every seven years to stand up and read the book of Devarim to encourage the people. And remember what Devarim is about. I shared this in, uh, I think in an Aliyah, maybe also in a Torah Sparks night, uh, last week. The book of Devarim is a book the sages talk about. It's a book of Teshuvah. This is why Yeshua quoted from it so often. This is why Yeshua quoted from the book of Devarim more than any other book. Why? Because the book of Devarim is about Teshuvah, turning back to God, asking for forgiveness, renewing our commitment to his word. And so the king is doing this. Every, now contrast that with the idea that many people believe that the king of Israel, J.C., not only does he not read the Torah to his people, but he says, you know what? Forget it and tears it up in their faces and scatters it to the wind and say, don't pay attention to this anymore. Now, my friends, I just want to tell you, I just showed you the beauty of, of what the king is supposed to do according to, to God. And I just contrasted that with that horrific theology I just said. That's heresy. That any king of Israel that would stand up and say, not only am I not going to read the, and tor, the Torah in order to inspire my followers to follow it, but I'm going to destroy it. That's, that's heresy. Who, who here, don't raise your hands, but who, who, who would feel comfortable taking, now even, even if you're watching me right now and you're, you're new to Lapid Judaism, you're, you're, maybe you're a little skeptical, you, you might think I'm, I'm crazy and I, I'm not that crazy, um, <laughs> you know, but if you're here and you're, you're not even, you're not chatting, no one knows you're here, but you're watching and I'm glad you are. But just ask yourself, would you feel comfortable taking Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, um, uh, Numbers and Deuteronomy out of your Bible, ripping it out of the Bible and, and putting it into a shredder? Would you feel comfortable with that? Th this goes along with the same question I ask people sometimes who, who say, I, I, don't, I don't think eating kosher is for today. So my question is, okay, so, so suppose, suppose that the temple was rebuilt today. Uh, and and let, it, let it be so. May Mashiach come and build the temple today because the temple is really the, the original temple being brought down from Shemayim. And that would mean the Gula, praise God. But anyway, suppose that happened. I've asked people this many, many times. Would you feel comfortable... You don't believe in kosher. You don't believe in Shabbat. You don't believe in Yom Tov. Okay, fine. So suppose that you had the temple. Would you be feeling comfortable dragging a pig into the temple and slaughtering it on the altar? Now, when I've asked that people to that question rather to God fearing people, every single time they've said no way. 
And my response is then, why do you eat pork and bring that into your temple? Same thing goes with not taking those books out of your Bible and putting them into a shredder. If you don't feel comfortable, if somehow that bothers you, then why are we shredding it theologically? So, at the end of seven years, Rabbi Nubakia comments that the seven-year Shemitah cycle alludes to the fact that the world will last for seven millennia. And the seventh millennia will introduce a new period. Accordingly, the Torah is read publicly at the start of the eighth year, at the completion of the Shemitah cycle to signify, and this is just an important statement, that's why I want to read it. This signifies that Adonai looks into the Torah in order to build a new world. Likewise, the announcement of the Shabbat of creation is followed by the word La Shot, or La Sot, Slika, La Sot, not Shot, but Sot, to make Genesis 2-3, implying that after the year of the seventh cycle of Hashem, will rebuild the world. Now, why is it that it says here that, that Hashem will look into the Torah in order to build or rebuild the new world. And the, re the reason, or the answer to that is, is because that's what he did the first time. The sages bring down in the Midrash that when God said, let us make man in our own image, the Midrash says that God was talking to the Torah. That God said to the Torah, let us make man in our own image. Now, wow. Now, the Torah is God. Literally, God written down. These are all Jewish thoughts, not making this up. We, I don't make anything up around here. Everything has a source. That uh, God and the Torah are one, very strong Jewish thought. And we know that the Torah is Mashiach that the Torah manifest is Mashiach. So God said to the Torah, Yeshua, let us make man in, your, in our own image. And he's going to look into the Torah again, into himself, <laughs> into his own DNA, so to speak, and remake the world. Isn't that exciting? Now, this next insight. I love children in the synagogue. All right? I love to hear little voices say Adonai. I love to hear little, little bitty voices say Shema Yisrael. It's wonderful. I love to hear them laughing. I love to hear them playing. You know, they need to be disciplined, of course, naturally. We all do. Some adults need discipline too, but I digress. But this insight is so wonderful. It says, and bring your small children. Bring your small children. Um... Bring your small children to this to this uh, this hearing, this this reading, this hachel, and it says here in the in the uh, comments to Rabbi Monk, the Talmud in Hagiga three a states that this includes even tiny babies who are being nursed by their mothers. Why such small children? To merit reward for those who bring them, according to Rashi. So just by bringing your baby, you get the reward for bringing the little child. But the child can't really understand. It's still nursing. It really can't understand the word. So why, why bring it? 
So when Rabbi Yehoshua heard this interpretation from his companions, he exclaimed, You have such a beautiful pearl and you wanted to keep it from me? What prompted his enthusiastic rejoinder was the fact that he himself had been brought by his mother to the yeshiva in a cradle. She used to say that her son must get used to hearing the words of Torah. Indeed, according to the Talmud Yerushalayim, that is the essential reason for bringing babies to the public reading of the Torah. So, uh, there's, there's, had developed, even in Orthodox Judaism today, an unfortunate um, habit, I guess, I don't know what you call it, custom or whatever, that mothers with small children don't come to the shul. You know, yeah, I got the children, and you know they're maybe they're a little bit loud, or they're, it's a little bit difficult to manage them. And if they start crying, or they start getting a little bit too rambunctious or excited, the mama has to get up and go to another room so she doesn't disturb the people around her and and distract them from hearing the the davening and so on. And you know, so maybe some people say better to stay home. Wrong. Better that you should uh, bring the little bitty baby and let the baby hear the words of Torah, the words of Torah, uh, the words of davening, the canting, the music, all of that to infuse their soul with godliness. And even if you have to go back to the mother's room because, you know, little Susie, uh, little Johnny got a little bit too excited or whatever, you got to go back to the mother's room, Baruch Hashem. They're still in the atmosphere of Torah and the atmosphere of learning. It's wonderful. And we should never take that uh, away from our children's souls. All right, uh, last insight here as we conclude. I'm going to end on the most critical truth of all. Right before Shabbat Shuvah. Rabbi Monk just says this. It's a highlighted sentence, and so here it is. This is why Adonai himself intervened to show the people clearly that the law of Adonai is eternal. It is valid from generation to generation. Mikhail Nicholson shared with me a quote once from a book about conversions. And it was a man who was talking to his rabbis. He was going through conversions, a conversion. And the man said to his rabbi, he said, Rabbi, I don't know what to do because, you know, my last name is Johnson and, and Johnson is not a Jewish name. And the rabbi looked at him and said, it is now. You may have grown up and you said, I didn't grow up in a Jewish home. I didn't, I don't. Or maybe I am Jewish, but I didn't grow up in an observant home and whatever, whatever. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how you begin. None of that matters. None of that, you realize none of that is relevant. What's relevant is where you are right now. What's relevant is what you know now. What matters is the teshuva that you're making now. Not what you didn't do yesterday or even five minutes ago. It's about what you're doing right now. That's the power of God's teshuva. When we recognize and know that his word is eternal and we come back to him, then we've really, really been born again. Shabbat Shalom and may you have a wonderful Shabbat Shuvah. I pray that all of you will join us 
in the synagogue, either in person or live. You can go to our uh, website for the synagogue here in uh, Tejas, which is mysarshalom.com. Click on the media link. It'll take you to the live stream page. You scroll down a little bit to click on the live stream, and that, that you can watch live stream. If you live in uh, Houston or Kansas City or Tulsa or... Um, uh, where else? Boston, other places. That you, you, there, there are places there. New York, New York. God forbid I should forget New York. Uh, there are places there you can uh, connect with uh, Lapidniks, just like you, who are pursuing this walk. And so wherever you are, uh, may God bless you. Have a great and wonderful day. Shabbat Shalom. We'll see everybody tomorrow with God's help. Don't forget to donate to the mikvah. I'll put that in the notes and in the comments here uh, in just a few minutes. Thank you so much for supporting us and joining us in this critically uh, important project that's going to shake the universe. Shabbat Shalom.